0: Good morning and happy Tuesday to you. It is November 15th. I'm Adam Wright. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. And it's, well, you know, I will say it's a beautiful day. It's it's kind of picturesque outside and the commute wasn't too bad, at least where I was. I hope you're having a safe commute this morning. But there's, a, you know, there's snow on the branches and on the rooftops and, you know, It's setting the stage for the season to come. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May Through the mercy of God, may the souls of the faithful departed rest in peace. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions this day to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's very good to be with you on this Tuesday morning. We've got, a, I think, a pretty pretty good show for you today. We're going to be visiting with Father Kirby, as we like to do on Tuesdays, uh, kind of dancing around the feasts of the month of November, and we've got one coming up this Friday that we're going to be talking about today. Also, uh, you know, we're going to continue talking about spiritual warfare with Doug Barry this week, and we have, uh, new to the show, Roger Nutt from Ave Maria University down in beautiful Ave Maria, Florida. Is going to be with us to talk about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, and I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to this discussion because, after 16 years working in parishes, I know there's still a lot of questions out there. What is the anointing of the sick? Who it's who is it for? Why do we celebrate? It? We're going to get into all of that with Roger today on the show as well. Uh, you know that that's what's coming up ahead. Plus, uh, we've got the fabulous catequiz for you, all that and more. But. You know, maybe you're saying, Adam, it's not picturesque where I live. I would much rather be inside with a cup of hot cocoa, not out in this commute. What does the day have in store for us? Fear not, Mike Roberts has the answer.
1: Today is the feast day of St. Albert the Great, bishop and doctor of the church. Born in Germany late in the 12th century, Albert was the son of a powerful and wealthy military leader who was also a count. He went to the University of Padua, where he was a brilliant student in virtually all areas, including philosophy, becoming an expert in the philosophies of Aristotle. And it was during this period that he had encounter with the Blessed Mother. While hunting in the woods, Albert came upon a beautiful woman, dressed in pure white, who identified herself as the mother of Jesus. And she spoke to him about the Transfiguration. She also encouraged Albert to become a priest. In 1223, Albert joined the Dominicans and began a lifelong journey of writing and teaching. His goal was to consolidate all the knowledge of his day and make it accessible in one place, a sort of 13th century Google. Albert spent 20 years putting together a collection of books and teachings on natural science, logic, rhetoric, mathematics, astronomy, and so much more. His teachings on Aristotle were fundamental to the church's position on philosophy. Albert was also the most influential teacher in the education of St. Thomas Aquinas. He was, as well, the Bishop of Regensburg, a Dominican provincial, and a preacher to the crusade in Germany. Of all of his writings, the most beautiful of Albert's may well have been this short prayer to the Blessed Mother called Mother of Grace. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. For note, Mary, you have found grace not taken it, as Lucifer did. You have found grace and not lost it, as Adam did. You have found favor with God, because you desired and sought it. You have found uncreated grace, that is, God himself became your son, and with the grace you have found, obtained every uncreated good. He died on this day in 1280. St. Albert the Great, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day
0: saint of the day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player search covenant network to see all our podcasts we are happy to be speaking with dr roger Nutt, the provost of ave maria university who recently authored the book to die is gain and here in this month of november as we focus on all souls, and the fact that, well, life is one of the few things that has a 100% mortality rate. We are all going to die. It's good to get an understanding of what we should be doing sacramentally as we get closer to that. Roger, it's so great to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven today.
2: Happy to be with you.
0: I think that the place to start in our conversation, this whole book is about the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. It's one of the sacraments we all know about, but maybe we do not have firsthand experience with. We've learned about it maybe in school, and we've seen in our parish bulletin perhaps the anointing of the sick will be offered after Saturday Mass on the first weekend of Advent, or the second week of Lent, or something like that, and inevitably there's that question of, well, what constitutes sick, and who's supposed to go to this, and and what exactly does the sacrament do? So that's where I'd, I'd like to start, is how do we define the sacrament?
2: That is a great question, and it's even further compounded, I think when we reflect on the fact that there are two sacraments of healing, penance and anointing of the sick, and I think if we polled most uh, you know, Catholics and said, well, what's the difference between the two? They might struggle to offer an answer that, that makes sense out of both sacraments, and the short answer is Sin has a twofold effect in the Christian life. We are all familiar with the effect that we call guilt or the mark or stain of sin. But there's also a clearly revealed tradition, St. Paul talks about it in Romans 7, that sin also leaves marks or remnants in the body. So in addition to the guilt that we have because of our sins, there there are also remnants that remain with us even after we've received absolution or forgiveness for the guilt. And I often use the example with people that if someone quits smoking, it's the case that maybe 10 or even 20 years later the bodily inclination to smoke, to reach into their pocket, still abides with them. So just because we have uh, received forgiveness for our sins in the order of guilt doesn't mean that past sins won't continue to plague us. And therefore, when we are especially weak and vulnerable in an end-of-life situation due to sickness or to old age, in addition to forgiving our sins in penance, the Lord comes and strengthens us and protects us from becoming victim to those bodily weaknesses and vulnerabilities that might remain with us even though our sins have been forgiven.
0: So the everyday practical is that we should be making a good confession regularly, because we don't know. Today could be the day. Next week could be the week. It might be years down the road that we may die, but the regular way of staying in that state of grace is through the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Now, I know that as my grandmother got older and she was on hospice, one of the first questions the chaplain at the facility asked was, do you want to call your parish priest and have him come out? Because you probably are looking at maybe two to three weeks tops that she'll be with us. And if she hasn't been anointed, you should make arrangements for that now. And that was really my first experience with, well, what is anointing of the sick? Because I thought this was just something you did if maybe you were going in to have surgery or something like that, or or you had a really bad cold, father could come anoint you. So when we move out of That regular means of healing of the sacrament of reconciliation, and we get to this sacrament. What are we hoping for when we receive the sacrament of anointing of the sick?
2: We are hoping to receive the graces that we need from the Lord, the strengthening that we need from the Lord, so that as our pilgrim journey in this life ends, that we may offer our suffering our vulnerabilities, and even our dying itself, which is our last act to the Lord, and to have the strength to do that, since it's often the case that the end-of-life experience is coupled with fatigue, fear, perhaps loneliness. So what we really want from anointing of the sick is the unity with the Lord, particularly in our suffering and our our physical suffering and our weakness, so that that last period of our life can be one that we offer to the Lord through the strength of His graces.
0: So instead of seeking to be cured of our ailment, we're really looking to be healed from the effects of sin, which those are two completely different things.
2: That's right, and the Church does teach that Miracles can happen generally in the life of the Church, and perhaps occasionally with anointing of the sick, but the primary effect, the first effect of anointing of the sick is strengthening those strengthening graces so that we can make our final perseverance. In fact, in the book I point out, and I think this is a little problem that we have today, is that we often associate with the sacraments now something like a medical cure. You get a procedure and the problem goes away, or you have a headache, you take aspirin and the headache goes away. And the truth of the matter is, when it comes to Christian salvation and the grace of the sacraments, The Lord doesn't save us from having to die. The healing that we receive from Christ is eschatological. He saves us from death being an eternal loss. And so what we really want is the the ultimate hope of the Christian life is to be with God for all eternity in heaven. And anointing of the sick is the last help that the Lord gives us in this life to help bring that about.
0: I want to go back to something you said a few moments ago, and that dying is really the last thing we can offer our Lord while we're on this earth is our death. And I think back to the first pope of my lifetime, St. John Paul II, in his final years where he suffered greatly, more and more he was unable to make public appearances or speak. But we all were so united with him in his suffering. And I think today the culture, the, the secular culture would say, well, surely someone like that who suffers. Do they really need to suffer? Maybe they could just we could assist them with dying, I think is the term they use, the nice way of saying assisted suicide or or euthanasia, which is what it really is. And John Paul II was that great witness to, no, we, we don't end our life prematurely, but we don't look at dying as a waste. This is really a beautiful gift we can offer our Lord, so much so that the Church actually has this wonderful Latin term, ars moriendi, the art of dying. So, That's where I'd like to wrap up today. In this month of November, as we contemplate our own mortality and and the fact that one day we will die, what lessons can we learn, either from the sacrament of anointing of the sick or just from Holy Mother Church in general, about that art of dying?
2: I think the way that you introduced it is the lesson that we can learn, namely, from the example of our Lord himself and great saints like John Paul II Contrary to what the world thinks, suffering, in fact, is not pointless, it's redemptive, and when we receive anointing of the sick, when we are weak due to sickness or old age, our sufferings, the efficacy of our sufferings, are actually magnified because they're joined to the Lord. So the world thinks that suffering is pointless and ought to be avoided, and what Christ himself teaches us and all the great saints of the Church is that if we accept suffering and offer it to the Lord, it's not pointless. In fact, it's redemptive, and therefore we ought to live each day of our lives so as to die well. That was... Um, The early Church practiced vigilance, mindfulness of the fact that we are all going to pass away and have to meet our Maker, and therefore we should think about our lives in terms of we're going to die and we should live in such a way every day that we can do that well. And the month of November does give us opportunities to reflect on that and to deepen that truth of the faith in our lives.
0: So really, instead of saying, Lord, put me out of my misery, it's, Lord, please take my misery and use it for my sanctification, or even more beautiful, we can also offer that for the sanctification of the souls in purgatory, and what a great gift that is. The book, again, is To Die is Gained by Roger Nutt, Dr. Roger Nutt, uh, the provost of Ave Maria University. It's available through Emmaus Road Publishing. Roger, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Please let everybody know at Ave that we are praying for the good work you do to build the Catholic Church there, and it's our joy to have you with us today.
2: Thank you so much,
0: Adam. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe, and while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Yesterday, we reestablished this idea that spiritual warfare rages on around us every day. And I don't even like to say it like that, reestablish this idea. We're acknowledging the reality that it's happening. But Doug, I think sometimes one of the traps we fall into is just apathy. I mean, how many times have people said, well, you know, we we know that the spiritual beings have so much more power than us, so I'm just going to let my guardian angel do its thing and I'm just going to stay out of it because what could I do anyway? You know what? Just count me out. Let let the spirits fight over it and whatever happens happens.
3: Yeah, it, it, which is really I in my opinion, you can see this as a natural weakness, you know, it can be just you know sloth, laziness, apathy, but you can also see the enemy using that against us very easily. And some people are more prone to that, even on a natural level they are. When it comes to health, well, there's nothing I can do about my health, so you know you're going to die from something, so why not just live it up and just consume whatever and eat and drink and to excess? And you know if the alcohol, the drugs, the smoking kills you. Oh, well, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. well, that's that's not actually factually true. Doctors will tell you over and over what you put in your body affects your health tremendously. You play a part in your physical, health well-being you also play a major part in your spiritual health and well-being so to simply toss it off as you know what i can't do anything about the demons are out there what am i going to do about it we are not well versed then in really the facts of how this whole picture needs to be looked at number one we have free will the demons have absolutely zero control over your free will or mind. they cannot force you or me to do anything at all they can manipulate. They can lie. They can deceive. They can project images. They can get into our imagination. They can pull up old files, as you know, uh, an exorcist like a Father Chad Ripperger would say. They can a- have access to the files on your computer, on your desktop. They can open the files and remind you of your past and try to weaken you and, and draw you into these things. You have access to these same files. You can, through meditation, for example, you can bring different imagery into your mind. You can help heal those files by God's grace through your steps of meditation, for example. So we play a major part in this. We have authority over our own souls. We can, in the name of Jesus Christ, and I have to emphasize that, in the name of Jesus Christ, through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, never without the precious blood of the name of Jesus Christ should we in any way ever engage. I have authority over my own soul, that in the name of Jesus Christ, I can tell demons to stay away from me, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have authority over certain people in my life. For example, my wife, because of the bond of our marriage, I have a spiritual authority over her. Now, everybody needs to understand this, and we're not going to get into the details, I know, on this. There is a order of spiritual authority that we have and don't have. Don't step out of your lane, as the saying goes. Stay in your lane, bro. You can't get out of your lane when it comes to spiritual authority or you you will actually, you can rain down more problems from the demons because they understand authority. They're legal experts. They're lawyers from hell. I think Father Chad Ripperger says, so what we need to understand is we play a part in this. We have authority in certain realm of the spiritual battle. We need to acknowledge that and engage in it. And our Lord
0: has given us this. What a great gift from God that we can engage in this fight. Indeed, it is a a very great gift, and I am grateful to have learned this lesson probably later in life than I wish I would have. Uh, This this is definitely one of those things, Doug, that I wish someone would have told me at a younger age, but I'm glad to know it now. I'm glad not to be apathetic now. I'm glad to be engaged in this now. So with the Blessed Mother's intercession, I'm going to run to our Lord and ask for His protection and the grace I need to live this life every day safe, safe in His care. I want to throw another prayer out to our listeners today. Yesterday, we we said the rosary, a great one to pray at the beginning of the day, the breastplate of St. Patrick, the lorica of St. Patrick, it's sometimes called. Look it up. Pray it. It's a powerful prayer for protection, and it's a simple one to pray each and every day. So, Doug, thanks for today. I look forward to tomorrow. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R Catholic Radio dot O-R-G. As Catholics, you know that we're fans of tradition. And one of the traditions that's developed here on the show that I am particularly fond of is our Tuesday conversations with Father Jeffrey Kirby out in South Carolina. Father, how are you this morning? Good, Adam. It's good to be on the show. Thank you. It's always good to have you. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff in November that we've been talking about. And one of those things is the dedication of the basilicas of Saints Peter and Paul. And, you know, fortunately, one of the things I actually paid attention to on my high school trip to Rome was St. Peter's Basilica and was St. Paul outside the walls. And every time people show pictures of that, I'm like, oh, I've been there. I I remember that one. I've been to that one. Other than the historical significance for for tourists like me, what is the significance of these churches? And why do we have a whole feast day, you know, a, a memorial of their dedication in our liturgical calendar?
4: Yes, yes. So the, the history and, and the spiritual symbolism is, is, is extremely rich. First, it's it's worth stating, just in case people aren't aware, that both of these basilicas are actually built over the bones of the respective apostles. So, for example, St. Peter's Basilica, St. Paul is buried there. St. Paul outside the walls, St. Paul is buried there. So originally these started as places of devotion among the early Christians, because that's where these chief apostles had died. So Christians would assemble in order to offer prayers and to have the Eucharist celebrated. And then eventually, as it was allowed, small symbols or monuments were placed over the respective areas. And then in the course of time with the legalization of Christianity, then we actually had formal churches built, uh, these basilicas that, that, of course, we are familiar with now. So In many respects, it shows how much we honor these two apostles. It shows how much and how seriously we took their martyrdom. And of course, these symbols now stand as, we could say, reminders or calls for each of us to live out our own discipleship and to be willing to give witness to the faith. Uh, And thanks be to God in the United States, we don't have to shed blood for the faith, but oftentimes we can suffer a lot. (laughs) you yeah. talking about Jesus in our yeah. society. I,
0: I often wonder, you know, if you put Adam right up against the lions, who's going to—we know the lions are going to win, by the way. You put me up against the Roman centurion. My money's on the Roman centurion as well. But what a great example it is for us. Now— Father, I want to delve into that word basilica because that's one that here in my hometown we actually are very familiar with. We're blessed to have two basilicas, um, the, the Basilica of St. Louis, King of France, commonly known as the Old Cathedral right under the Gateway Arch, and then the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis, which is our new cathedral, and by new we mean about 100 years old, which is still relatively new in the life of the church. What does that term basilica mean?
4: when the, the church was legalized in 313 A.D. By, by Constantine, and when he legalized it, he wanted to honor the Christian God. Constantine was not a Christian. He, he accepted Christian baptism at his death, but but he was a noble pagan, and, and he attributed his victory, his military victories, to the Christian God because his mother was a devout Christian. And so he wanted to do something to, to honor the, the Christian God, so he asked the Pope at the time, uh, what can I do? And, and uh, the Pope said, well, you know, first, of course, stop killing us. <laughs> you know? So we had the the edict of toleration tor- towards Christianity. But secondly, the Pope said, can we have public houses of worship? And so the emperor said, well, of, of course. But of course, you know, he was a new emperor. He was not originally from the city of Rome. So he had to find something to give to the Christians. So there were these courthouses that were scattered throughout the city and the latin word basilica means courtroom or courthouse so he gave the courthouses to the christians and said you can use these buildings for your public worship and so that's why if you go to the early basilicas um, Peter's and, and and on the vatican or saint paul outside the walls if you walk in you have this image now you can kind of see the design is kind of like a courtroom Especially St. Paul's outside the walls, and that's that was the original intent. So the emperor was trying to be supportive. He he gave these churches uh, to to the Christians.
0: I love that a little bit. A little bit of history for us on roadmap to heaven this morning. Now speaking of of these beautiful edifices, you know, it, it's one of the things that when you think of Vatican City, you think of St. Peter's, and you think of that image of the Church standing there in the piazza, or you think of the, the Pope standing on the loggia when a new Pope is elected and announced. Symbols matter, not just in our faith and in our world. And I wonder, you know, what is the takeaway we should have about, in, in particular St. Peter's, no no disrespect to St. Paul, but in particular St. Peter's being right there in the heart of the Vatican City Vatican. State?
4: I, I think that, as you're describing, anyone who's been there or—, or Uh, has even just appreciated uh, pictures of of St. Peter's Square and and the Basilica. Standing there, I I think there are many takeaways, just to list a few. I think, first of all, the clear universality of the Church. You can stand in front of St. Peter's Basilica in in, in the square there, and and, and literally the whole world walks in front of you. Every culture, every nation, uh, every variation of humanity comes through the Basilica and through St. Peter's Square. And so the, the clear universality of the church. And, and then secondly, and, and I think maybe closer to, to us, is the clear standard and, and, and the foundation of, of our faith that I, I'm always when I look at St. Peter's Basilica because St. Peter is here. I, literally, the Lord said, on, on this rock, I will build my church. And while on the rock of Peter's profession of faith, the universal church, the mystical body of Christ is founded, but literally this church, a symbol of that, is built on him.
2: <laughs> you yeah.
4: could drop a plumb line from the, the papal altar all the way down, and you literally hit the bones of St. Peter. You can actually take a tour called the Scabby tour underneath the basilica and literally see the bones of the Galilean fishermen uh, uh, of St. Peter. And, and to me, it, it just is that radical connection that we have by the power of the Holy Spirit Uh, by the apostolic succession of one pope following another, following another, following another, through the course of history, from Peter to Pope Francis. And, And this is all symbolized, and we can see it visibly in this powerful basilica there on the Vatican Hill.
0: And much in the same way, Father, I imagine we're called to live our lives to be just as a bride of a symbol of our faith everywhere we go, because I don't know about you, but looking out my window here, I do not see St. Peter's, but I see an awful lot of Catholics passing by that can be that symbol of faith.
4: Amen. Amen. And, and, and you know, Pope St. John Paul II used to always say that the Christian is called to be the universal brother and the universal sister to all people. And we are, so we show that universality, and we show our connection to the early apostles whenever we are faithful to the gospel they gave us. So very much, Adam, as you're describing, that universality, that integrity of faith, very much we are sent into the world to be those ambassadors, those representatives, uh, as well to, to those around us.
0: Wonderful, Father. Uh, could I ask you to close us out with a prayer today?
4: Yes, let us pray. Father, ask your blessings upon us. We ask for intercession of Peter and Paul for all of us today that we can be as faithful witnesses as they were. We ask for their intercession. We ask these and all good things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
0: We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. We're always grateful for Father Kirby taking the time to join us on these Tuesday mornings. Until we come back, stay tuned. Are you enjoying this podcast? Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R-C-H-O-L-I-C-H-O-R-I-D-I-O-R-G. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. We have a multi-tiered catequiz question for you today. This one's going to be in part. So let's start with the first one. Father Kirby and I were talking about basilicas. And uh, if you're paying attention, you should know the answer to this. How many major basilicas are there in Rome? How many major basilicas are there in Rome? The answer is four. There are four major basilicas, the Archbasilica of St. John Lateran, St. Peter's Basilica, the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, and the Basilica of St. Mary Major. Those are the four major basilicas in Rome. Uh, coincidentally, though, there are, those are referred to as the papal basilicas. There are six papal basilicas. Two, though, are in Assisi. Now, that said, Rome, the, the eternal city, how many basilicas are there in the diocese of Rome, right? Not just four, but how how many are there? Well, there are 61 minor basilicas in the diocese of Rome, and that's wow, that's an impressive number. Now, we uh, jokingly refer to St. Louis, sometimes lovingly refer to St. Louis as the Rome of the West, because we have so many beautiful churches and so many different religious orders here, and we even have two basilicas, as we said in the segment with Father Kirby here in St. Louis. But my question for you, our final catechist question of the day. Do you know how many basilicas there are in the United States? And they're all minor basilicas. Some of them are cathedrals. Some of them are national shrines. Some are co-cathedrals. Some are just parish churches. um, Some are abbeys. But how many are there in total? Do you have a guess? Do you know? You know, if you know, that'd be impressive. I didn't know. I had to look it up. There are 91 minor basilicas in the united states of america the most recently designated two were the basilica of saint mary of the assumption in lancaster ohio and that is a minor basilica it's a parish and then the basilica of saint stephen in new orleans louisiana that was uh created a basilica on may 12th of this year so uh lots of fascinating things you can look up but here's a i don't know about you But when the winter comes, I start to get that travel bug. I'm I'm already thinking about next summer's vacation, and I'm thinking in terms of a road trip and where are the places we could go and what is there to see along the way, and in particular, what is there to see along the way that is particularly Catholic? I love seeing beautiful churches, so maybe, perhaps, just maybe, You can look this up, and as you plan travel, or maybe if you're traveling for business, you could take some time to stop at a beautiful basilica here in the United States of America. We have 91 of them, and who knows, maybe one day we will have more. We're going to take another break here on Roadmap to Heaven, but we still have the Daily Dose of Encouragement coming up for you in a little bit, and then we will wrap up the show. Uh, for all of you driving right now, please know we are praying for a safe commute out there. Be, be careful on those slick roads. And, uh, you know, maybe if you get stuck in traffic, instead of getting frustrated, offer some prayers this morning. Sanctify that morning commute as well. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven right here on Covenant Network. Stay tuned. Are you enjoying this episode of Roadmap to Heaven? Are you saying to yourself, I wish I could listen to this again? Well, good news, you can. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Roadmap to Heaven by Covenant Network to find this episode and more. And for even more great Catholic content, be sure to visit www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's o u r c a t h o l i c r a d i o . o r g and click on the Programs tab for some great shows. And now back to Roadmap to Heaven. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, Patty Schneier is helping us prepare for a good death. So, Patty, how do we prepare today?
5: Today, I just want to talk on a very practical level. It's important for all of us to have a will with Catholic medical directives. I say this because the cases that make the news are due to family infighting because there was no medical directive. I was told that by priests and by lawyers. My husband and I have recently gone and met with a Catholic lawyer in order to get our affairs in line. Our children are now grown and we had not done this since when they were very, very young. Many people kind of forget to get their affairs in order. So I would say it's important for you, if, if you can, To meet with a Catholic lawyer or a priest that can get this done for you and have a Catholic medical directive, know the church's teachings about end-of-life issues, and make that very known, stated, black-and-white, signed, and that your children know as well.
0: It's the kind of thing that none of us like to think about, but we all need to do. So, Patty, thank you for this dose of encouragement. To follow up on that, there are actually some great resources out there to help you with that. I know the Knights of Columbus have a a great workbook on looking at end of life and not just... from the logistical standpoint but really what are your wishes what you know what do you need to have in order paperwork wise there's some really great checklists out there Uh, that is just one among many a good internet search can help you find some some great catholic ones as well and it's an important conversation to have i mean I, i cannot second what patty said strongly enough as someone who used to play music for so many funerals and being with families it was always a very great blessing for the family when everything was kind of arranged in advance. Um, it took a lot of burden off the families, so something to seriously think about uh, as you go on with your week. And you know, as Patty reminded us, we're preparing for you know our own end. We don't know when that may be. For some of us, it may be sooner. For some of us, it may be a long ways off. But if we knew the date, it of course would be a lot easier. But we don't know. The date. I want to thank uh, Father Kirby for being with us today, as well as Dr. Roger Nutt and Doug Berry for being with us on the show. Um, Keep praying today, especially your rosary this month. I mean, you, you want to talk about work you can do for the poor souls in purgatory? Offer your rosary for them and do not underestimate the efficacy the supernatural efficacy of your prayer for the holy souls and offer your suffering for them. You know, I mentioned I was sick last week. Uh, What a blessing it is to be able to offer that suffering and say, Lord, please take my suffering for the souls in purgatory for their sanctification. Lord, please sanctify me through my suffering. Let's not waste these opportunities in our lives as they come. And let's, of course, pray for our own sanctification, our own quest as i like to put it to grow in holiness and you know sometimes i feel odd saying that it's a quest to grow in holiness it sounds like the kind of thing a knight would go out in the medieval times on a quest well you know what we are on a quest we're in that battle each and every day the devil does not want us to go to heaven god wants us to convert every day and choose him choose his love and so we pray to draw near to him Let's pray now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen queen of all saints pray for us saint joseph terror of demons pray for us in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen and i may not be a knight in shining armor but i tell you what when i resist that temptation to sin that's like having that sword fight i suppose for covenant network i'm adam wright thank you so much for listening to roadmap to heaven this morning and do not forget to pray your rosary today the blessed mother asks us to pray it every day so let's not fail in that